So this is the scene with it. What would you call her? Air hostess? Yeah, she's the air hostess who gives John McClane fuck me eyes. Fuck me eyes. Yeah. In the deleted scene, mm-hmm. she looks at the teddy and goes, oh, you should have bought her a ticket. And he goes, her? She's underage. And she goes, I'm not. Oh, Jesus. How steamy <laughs> and ex- like all right it is that. Oh, my God. She goes, I'm not. And his eyes are like, okay. I'm glad they left that out. Fucking LA, huh? Yeah. <laughs> they do such a good job of John McClane... Again, so endearing, immediately out of his comfort zone, completely. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 31 of Straight to Series. Uh, my name is Connor. I am Ian. And today we're doing a very special episode, an extra cold episode. Strip poker! Strip poker! Hey. Hey. Uh, as you can see, we've started on the same... No, we're not. We're doing... Uh, it's about a four-time Oscar-nominated movie. Yes. Can you guess? The greatest Christmas movie of all time. Uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah. And it, it really was nominated for four Oscars. Four Oscars, yeah. Not for our acting or anything, but for... <laughs> no. Just for... Just for general the stuff. The stuff that you're you're guessing you're correct the, with. The, stuff, the editing yeah. and the visual effects. The stuff that Suicide Squad might win for, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And did win. And did win for. <laughs> yeah. Never forget Suicide Squad won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, please check us out on Instagram. Like and subscribe. Like and, and subscribe. Do all that stuff. Yeah, if you're listening, you can check this out on YouTube as well. Yeah. We have loads of images up. We do, but we every now and again, for normally for the holidays, we like to focus in on kind of a famous movie that we both really yeah, care about. Just you know? centre on a good one. Yeah, we've done We're Predator. slightly late on Christmas here, we but... We are. Hey, listen, it's hey, fine. Ask Bruce Willis. It's not a Christmas movie. It's not a Christmas ask movie. Ask Wilson. It fucking is it a Christmas movie. It fucking is. According to Bruce Willis, it's a Bruce Willis movie, which <sighs> I guess he's not wrong. He's on brand, isn't he? He is. He's on brand. But thankfully in this movie, he was still likable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, will we jump straight in? Yeah, we will. The year is 1988. <gasps> Oh, I'm there. I'm back there. The Christmas movie, the best Christmas movie ever. Yeah. Came out in the summer. Came out in the summer. Yeah, July 15th, 1988. 1988. What yeah. a year. But funny enough, some of it was filmed actually on Christmas Eve due to the crazy schedule that they had. I like that. Yeah. So it was somewhat authentic. Mm-hmm. But even like, there's the, you know, when you talk about Die Hard, there's the famous debate, you know, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not a Christmas movie? Yeah. The studio think is a Christmas movie when it, it was marketed as a Christmas movie. And they fully, now, years later, yeah. they made an actual trailer. Yeah. That, I think it was the 30th anniversary? 30th anniversary, They made yeah. a Christmas trailer yeah. where they portrayed it as almost like a romantic comedy Christ- slash Christmas movie. Totally. But even the themes in the movie, like it's about family and kind of, you know, coming together. And... Christmas is just constantly referenced as totally. well. Like it yeah. really, it really takes place over Christmas. It's yeah. not like just like... Like, hey, it's Christmas, but check all this shit out. No. Like, it's it truly is a Christmas it's movie. It's a true Christmas movie. It embraces movie. it. It does, yeah. And even the screenwriter, he wrote it specifically as kind of a Christmas movie. Which so. is great. You know, uh, a lot uh, a lot going for it in that department. Can we throw the subtitles on? Because we actually oh, have it playing. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, when we do this stuff, we normally put the movie on. I love the irony, though, that the, the, my favorite Christmas movie came out in summer. Yeah, yeah. It is pretty cool. I only realized that when we were doing the 
research for it. I was like, oh yeah, it yeah. didn't come out in December. It was a summer blockbuster. Yeah. It made like eighty six million bucks off of it. That was in America. In America. It made hundred and forty though worldwide. Oh, it shit. made uh, one hundred and forty one and a half million Holy shit. on a twenty eight million budget. Which is very impressive. And twenty eight million in nineteen eighty eight was a pretty decent budget. Like it's quite hefty. Especially when you consider five million of that budget went to paying Bruce Willis. It's crazy. He made five million dollars from this movie, a very controversial thing at the time. And was kinda like his first real proper movie. He did a few yeah. that some of them didn't do so well. No. He was on Moonlighting. Yeah, Moonlighting. TV series. TV series that he won an Emmy for. A comedic TV series. Yeah, he was known as a comedic actor. So when uh, when they were putting this movie out, he was kind of a risk, and that was big time reflected in the posters. And yeah, five million. Five million. I want that man's agent. Yeah, I know. Is it what? However, they worked that. It was just amazing. He was a genius. Yeah, but here's the thing: what we can get into about mm-hmm. the casting. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why they were backed into a corner. Fox kind of needed this movie to happen now. Yeah, and that's why he. <laughs> he obviously obviously the agent must have had an inside guy that was like here they fucking need someone time. everyone has turned this down yeah and he's like okay five five mi- five million. Five million. i love <laughs> i love hearing agent stories like that like jamie fox talks about for django unchained he heard that quentin tarantino was doing a movie about a black slave and that other black actors were having auditions for it yeah. so he rang up his agent fired him hired a new agent and, the, and the first thing that agent got him was the django audition Cause so he was like, listen, man, you fucked me over again. I just missed out on another opportunity. And then Jamie Foxx got a new agent and they got him. I'd love if the, the old agent just got the call saying, here, Will Smith's taking it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, shit. Okay. And yeah. then he gets fired for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. But I totally get where Jamie uh, no, Foxx no, is coming I totally, from. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I could kind of see how that might have happened. Yeah, but then again, when you hear that the other agent got him the part, you're like, yeah, oh. Maybe during the process of hiring him. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino and Will Smith fall out of love yeah, 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 and then maybe. it goes back on the market. Yeah. I don't know. Just guessing. Totally. Although Quentin Tarantino's whole thing on that where he like, he Jamie Foxx walks in with his like Gucci bag and everything and then Quentin Tarantino came over and he's like, you're a fucking slave. Yeah, yeah. We're getting off topic. We're back to Die Hard. Die Hard. But it's directed by another kind of favorite director of ours, John McTiernan. Our first ever special. First ever special. He did Predator. 1987, Predator. Yeah. One year later. So Predator is one of my all-time favorite action movies Me ever. Too. Me action too. classic. Yeah. What do you follow up with? Another ac- uh, another franchise starter yeah. as well. Yeah, totally. Die Hard. Die Hard. I, like, you could, this guy is just knocking it out of the park back yeah. to back. His next movie after that, The Hunt for Red October. Yeah, another like, classic. He was on a rope. That's a trifecta. Of classic action movies. And it's that's kind of a franchise as well. It's Jack Ryan, yeah. technically speaking. And that was the first one. Yeah, first one. So it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Very interesting. But um, this movie is... Uh, it's technically takes place in the same universe. It's The books are written by... What's the guy's name? Reginald Thorpe. Reginald Thorpe. And uh, it's based on the book... Is it No Time to Die or something? The Detective is the first one. The Detective is the first one. And Nothing Lasts Forever. Nothing Lasts Forever. I don't know why. Is what this is based on. Yeah, so it's based on the book Nothing Lasts Forever by Reginald Thorpe. So it's really, it's even weird to think that this is actually a sequel. It's a sequel. Like the the book was the sequel that this is based on. Yeah, and funny enough, there was a movie in the 60s, I want to say. 60s or 70s. 60s or 70s starring Frank Sinatra, which was the detective. Yeah. And because he had starred in that originally, he was offered the role of John McClane in this movie. He just contractually 
con- yeah. contractually yeah. had they had to ask they him. They had to ask him, but had he to was offer him the role. 73 years of age at the time, so I don't think there was any doubt yeah. he was going to do it. But we still have to thank Frank Sinatra for Die Hard. Yeah. Because when he played the detective, mm-hmm. he asked Reginald Thorpe, the author mm-hmm. of the detective, yeah. to write a sequel. Yeah. Now, it took him 10 years, mm-hmm. but he wrote the Die Hard movie pra- yeah. pretty much, you know? But... The movie rights for this were owned by Clint Eastwood. Who was also offered a role. Who was also offered the John McClane role. Nah, mate. Don't he, want it. Yeah, you, you you told me that he was given the script and he didn't understand the comedic elements in it. Yeah, he actually wrote on the script, like, I don't understand the humour. Yeah, and he had to, and, and that's why he had to pass on the role. Yeah. But the humour was thanks to John McTiernan, wasn't it? John McTiernan was like, we need to inject some comedic elements into totally. this. For the whole movie though, wh- why it's so fun mm-hmm. is because of John McTiernan. Yeah. Like, we, we would have got terrorists mm-hmm. and then like, that's why he wanted comedy in it as well. He just wanted to make it more looser and when you think of Predator, Predator has so much comedy in it. It does, yeah. Well, Predator is like, they do such a good job of capturing that these guys are action hero badasses. Oh, the machismo is true to roof. Totally. And if you want to learn all about that, you should watch our previous you episode. You should check that out. That's a self-plug. Yeah. We're and allowed that. Hell yeah, yeah we're allowed that. Yeah. And that was one of the funnest episodes we've done. Totally. totally. Researching that just blew my mind. Exactly. We had a very similar experience on this, though. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. All the fun stories that you get about this movie. But yeah, McTiernan's kind of fingerprints are all over this, making it better and everything. And you can see how he tried to change direction yeah. when it comes to Predator mm-hmm. it's all about the classic action hero chiseled from marble mm-hmm. Mr. Olympia himself yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger then what do we want to do let's get an average guy that looks like your dad yeah Bruce Willis Bruce Willis yeah it's... he has a hairline like my dad mm-hmm. yeah well has... right at, at the moment he has no hairline but <laughs> yeah. back then he's lost it all mm-hmm. but uh, yeah back then he had it Um. But yeah, he, so McTiernan kind of, he, they were originally terrorists, the characters in it, in the book there. I think it's set in an oil rig in the book, I want to say. Is it? No, no, be, it's set. Is it set in a building? It's set in a building. It's set in a building. Over three days. Over three days. And he wants it down to one day to ramp up the Yeah, one whole night is, yeah, he wants yeah. it to take place. He, his fingerprints are mm-hmm. all over this movie and it's yeah. why it's so good. That's what I love about this. In the book, um, McLean, the McLean character, the detective, is coming yeah, after his daughter. It's a different daughter. name, isn't it? At it's the diff- time, it's a different I name. I forget. It's something with an L. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's a worse name, anyway. Yeah, John it's McLean. Definitely a worse name. But uh, he's looking for his daughter. His daughter is the one captured, and you yeah. find out that his daughter is actually connected to the terrorist plot at the end. She falls from the from the roof. From at the, the roof. End. Yeah, yeah. So they really kind of changed it up big time. Yeah. I, I just love how John McTiernan though had made the machismo gospel with Predator totally. and then he was like because Arnold Schwarzenegger was offered this role as well yeah yeah he was and he, he turned it down yeah we'll go into why he, well what movie he made <laughs> instead but... actually will we will we list the people now because we have yeah, to list sure. we've, we've said a few now yeah um, you Richard Gere Sly Stallone uh, Burt Reynolds they were all off of the role um, is there anyone else um, we've mentioned Arnold Clint Eastwood Frank Sinatra Frank Sinatra there's one or two, like Harrison Ford is debatable yes, supposedly yeah. he was offered it as well Apparently, or at yeah. least he was in consideration for mm-hmm. it yeah Robert De Niro yeah De Niro I, yeah that yeah. came up as well he, he could kind of do the McLean thing I would say I think so back then he's a bit too he'd be older even back then though would he yeah 
Maybe not. I don't know. I think he's a bit too gangster to play. Well, he plays a cop in Heat. Oh, no, sorry. He's not the cop in Heat. Yeah, he's the opposite. He's the opposite. I don't know if he could do the... He's got authority about him, you know? That way you're like, I'd listen to that guy. But that's the beauty about McLean. Like, Bruce Willis is one... His version of McLean's just... It's perfect. It's its just a normal guy. He's so, so likable. Yeah. One of the things that uh, when they were figuring out the character, they came down to the thing that um, McLean kind of hates himself, but yeah. he's trying to get along in his life, you know? Mm-hmm. He's trying to do do a bit better this time. He's not a great guy. No. Like, at this... Would he help them if his wife wasn't stuck in the middle of all this? I don't know. I, I don't know if he would. Uh, you feel you like he, I mean? You feel like he's, he's like... He's a heroic guy. He's a cop, but... It's only when the personal element is put in that he's... He's forced to be a hero. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the problems with the second and... Tor- like, once it goes... It mm-hmm. gets further away from just uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of totally. thing. You're like, oh, now he's just a legit action hero. I like yeah. when he's just... A, he's an average cop who's just forced to save these people. I think if McTiernan did Die Hard with a Vengeance and that was the second movie and that's the one where we get Hans Gruber's brother and everything, it, it's again, he's kind of forced to be this hero yeah, totally. again. Like and that's the only reason why he's injected into the movie. Yeah. John McClane is only there because Hans Gruber's brother wants to fuck with him. Wants to fuck with him, Like yeah. literally he's just like, oh, well, why? I'll have some fun while I steal all this gold. Totally. And, 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 and he it, says that in it. He admits yeah. that. He's just like, oh, well, you know, yeah. the opportunity was there so why not yeah, fuck with him why wouldn't I fuck with him he, he, he killed my brother yeah he thinks he thinks this is some big terrorist plot when really I'm stealing all this gold and I'm just gonna fuck with John McClane and kill yeah. him while I'm in town I might as well fuck with John McClane it's so good yeah and I think I think in the, the what they've lost in the future movies is they should have maybe explored like maybe find out that John McClane might have been on the take or something or he like he just wasn't a very good guy yeah yeah. like before even the Nakatomi yeah. Plaza yeah he just incident. Like, he was like I was a cop who was I was committed to my job but I like I wasn't necessarily a great cop or anything which is extremely believable totally because he, he talks to Argyle in this movie who's, a, who's the amazing limo driver yeah. and he's like um you know, my wife, my wife, she was moving over for six months of work and I've got a six month backlog of of, of uh, criminals I can't put behind bars and everything. So. And speaking of Argyle and the limo, yeah. the little touches like John McClane sits up front. Yeah. Because John McClane's never sat in a limo before. No. And he just respects, like, he he respects the guy who's pack, uh, bagging his groceries. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, he's the guy who's like, ah. Oh, I want to talk to this guy so yeah. I'll sit up in front with him totally yeah like he's in a taxi rather you know limo you're supposed to have your your kind of private yeah, area he, at the back where you chill doesn't like any of that doesn't yeah. like the California lifestyle they do such a good job of showing like he's really out of place mm-hmm. and then they endear you to him throughout the whole movie totally and not in this some over the top action hero way like in the very first scene he's coming off the plane and he's like he doesn't look good flying and the guy's trying to help him but yeah. it's not like it's not like the A-team, you know, when Mr. T, this badass, he's like, I get no, no plane, fool, you know? He's like, nah, just not. Dripping na-. of gold. Yeah, he's like, I'm just nauseous, you know, I don't like flying and everything. And then obviously that leads to the great aspect of the film where he takes his shoes off and he doesn't have yeah. shoes for the whole movie. I, I, the idea of him just being a normal dude is mm. the best thing about this whole movie. Yeah. And it changed the whole action genre. Yeah. Like John McTiernan... Mm-hmm. He, he he's responsible for changing the landscape of action movies he basically he did the most stereotypical 80s action movie in Predator yeah. where he had which he did 
perfectly he nailed. And it is also kind of a sub- subversion because it has all these badass guys being taken out by an alien who's ten times more badass. Yeah, you forget you're watching a sci-fi movie. Yeah, you do. You forget. It just slips in that sci-fi element without totally. you even noticing. No, you, you don't even think about it. You're just like, Thank for the for the first 30 minutes of that movie, that's a standard war movie. You're just watching these guys shoot up steroids and <laughs> shoot people. Shoot people. And then for this movie, he's taken those protagonists and he's given you a new one, a more kind of vulnerable guy. Yeah. And you, like, you don't expect in the middle of this movie for your action hero multiple things for the first 20 minutes he's trying to get help yeah he's not trying to save anyone no except for himself no he's trying to save himself and his wife and hopefully get help yeah he's just constantly trying to radio people and get them and he has the great monologue where he's talking to himself putting himself down man Argo I hope you heard those shots and called the police (laughs) I love that and then Argo's just just down listening to Run DMC (laughs) oh it's great Um, and then in the middle of the movie uh, he has this breakdown where he realizes where he's like, you know what? She's heard me say I love you a thousand times. She's never heard me say I'm sorry. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, it's and great. You, you just it's don't a great e- line. It is, and you just don't expect to have this like moment with uh, with the, your action lead where he's like, yeah, I've been kind of a shitty guy. You yeah. know, we should say because you're pretty much segueing into it. Yeah. So the screenwriter mm-hmm. was struggling to figure out how to adapt the book. Yeah. Um, nothing lasts forever mm. and he had a massive argument with his wife mm-hmm. storms out gets into his car and he's flying down the freeway Yeah. and all of a sudden he sees these cars jumping out of the way like just flying out of the way mm-hmm. and he realises he's going head first into a big refrigerator box yeah. and he's like oh fuck I never said sorry to my wife mm-hmm. you know because yeah. he realised I should have actually said that mm-hmm. while he was driving he realised he was in the wrong and yeah. he's like oh fuck how am I supposed to apologise to her mm-hmm. and then he's heading towards this fridge yeah. and he's like oh shit like I could die now and I mm-hmm. never apologised to her so ends up there was nothing in the box No, it was empty he gets home runs downstairs I don't even he actually says in an interview I didn't even apologise to her <laughs> he just runs down to his basement yeah. and starts writing and like just the pages start flying out yeah. of him because now then he was like oh it's about a guy who should have said sorry to his wife mm-hmm. And like, really, you can boil that whole movie down to that. It's so good. It's uh, everything else that happens is supplementary to yeah. this main thing, and it's like it's you feel like John McClane. He's he's running off adrenaline and he's dealing with everyone and he's kind of trying to piece it together as as he can. But in his mind, you feel like the whole time he's like, "I never said sorry to her. I never <sighs> said sorry. I yeah. need to I need to get to her so I can say sorry." You but know? yeah, he's not even a great. He's yeah, you know, he's there to fix his marriage. Yeah, and the minute he sees her, he, he kind of switches on the dick a bit as yeah. well. He just can't help it. Yeah, he just he you can't. Know? Who the fuck's that guy? Why is this guy taking coke and all like that? Her office is way too big. Yeah. And oh my God. And you have the Chekhov's gun of the Rolex. Yeah. Where he's like, hey, show him the Rolex, you know? He didn't like that. No, it did he not. He didn't like, like her toxic masculinity all over the place. He's no. like, what the fuck's this office? She's yeah. making more money than me. Uh, and I love the genuine... I'm the breadwinner. I love the genuine reaction of uh, when the guy comes up and kisses him on the cheek or whatever. <laughs> and he kind of like... The whole... Like, fucking Californians yeah. you know little touch of homophobia I know it's so good he's, such, he's just such a good like New York down to earth every man every man a man John McTiernan yeah oh what was the thing was it the screenwriter or John McTiernan who said uh, this build, the top of the building needs to blow up what that's is that's Joel Silver Joel Silver so Joel the Silver producer. is like a big time producer totally oh, I actually wrote down some of the movies he's made because Joel uh, Silver is a big guy I have the IMD up here I'll see if I can oh here I have it. it have it excellent so I just wrote down some of his big ones. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Silver did The Matrix. Yeah. He did Predator. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who got John McTiernan to do it after the RoboCop director. Yeah. Turned it down. Roadhouse. 
He did as well. He did Roadhouse. Yeah. Lethal Weapon. Lethal he did weapon. the whole Lethal Weapon franchise. He did the Nice Guys. I just wrote that down at the <sighs> end. Joe Silver produced the Nice Guys. Great movie. And um, yeah, Joe Silver, when the screenwriter was, when it got greenlit, mm-hmm. the screenwriter said that the minute he came up with the idea of like, it's a man who should have said sorry to his wife. Yeah. He got greenlit four weeks after he start, He really? went down to his basement and started writing that That's script. That's awesome. So he says, uh, Joe Silver goes, okay, first things first, it's not going to be called... Nothing lasts forever. Yeah. It's going to be called Die Hard. Yeah. And the screenwriter's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. And he goes, and by the way, top of the building needs to explode. <laughs> this is a Joe Silver movie. Yeah. It needs to explode. And he's like, he actually said, like I watched an interview with the screenwriter and he's like, how am I supposed to get, the, the hero's up there mm-hmm. on the top of the building. And he's like, how am I supposed to get him down? And he goes, I don't care. Yeah. Make it happen. I love that. And if anyone doesn't know who Joel Silver is, mm-hmm. you've seen him, you've seen, a car- you've seen a parody of him. Yeah. Because... Tom Cruise plays Les Grossman in <laughs> Tropic Thunder. That horrible, fat, hairy knuckle yeah. dancing guy. Fat hands and I want to dance. And I want to dance. <laughs> that's a parody on Joel Silver. Yeah, that's awesome. It's It reminds me, we've told this story on the podcast before, but it reminds me of the story of the Kevin, Kevin Smith Batman movie where the guy's like, I need you to have a giant spider in there. Yeah, he's just like, yeah. and oh yeah, and Superman can't fly and he can't wear the suit because it's gay. Yeah. Like, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, he doesn't want a cape because he's gay. Yeah. And he's <laughs> reading it and he's like, who's Kal-El? What's Krypton? And he's like, you don't know anything about this movie. I love the idea of just being that crazy producer like, make the, the top of the building explode. Yeah. How am I supposed to do that? Get on it. Figure it out. Get on it. Figure it out. With a That's 20, not my job. With a $28 million budget as well, blown up mm-hmm. the top of a building. But um, yeah, this movie is just kind of like, it's it's a lot of creatives coming at it and being like, we need to do this. You know, a lot of really creative minds doing- On top of their game. On top of the game, They, they actually really are. Yeah. Like John McTernan was at his peak. Mm-hmm. And so was like the cinematographer. Yeah. That guy went on to do great stuff. He did. He did uh, Total Recall. No, not he Total Recall. Directed Speed. Directed Speed. He did Die Hard on Public Transport. Die Hard on Public Transport. Yeah, we'll get into that later as well. That this movie has as long, long in pop culture terms and in like the movie making thing, this has had far reaching effects. Yeah. But we'll get into that in a bit but later. But the crew were just on top of their game. Like they John were. McTernan, the screenwriter, Joe mm-hmm. Silver. They all just merged and made this amazing product. But even the actors in it are like at the top of the game. Like uh, Hans Gruber, famously played by Alec Rickman, Alan Rickman, excuse me. It was his first uh, first feature film debut yeah. role. American film, especially. Um, American like he'd film. never done anything in America. He was do- he's, he was on stage and he did a few British TV shows, yeah. but that was about as big as he got. At age 41. Age as 41 well. years of age. And they were going to give it to Sam Neill and he was more established and he was known as being able to play a very villain this character Sam Neill turned it down yeah turned it down so Rickman serious big names have turned this down yeah so Rickman stepped in and like the rest is history you know so no one was like the first choice no you know like John McTiernan mm-hmm. was not the first choice no uh, to direct it um, John McClane oh sorry Bruce, uh, Bruce Willis. Willis see he's John McClane in my head I know Bruce Willis was like the tenth choice and now yeah. even um, as you were saying Hans Gruber Hans Gruber no it was going to be Sam Neill and even the um, his wife yeah Holly Gennaro Holly Gennaro yeah yeah I think that's like right I know there. Meryl Streep Meryl Streep uh, yeah Holly Gennaro McLean that's the character's name the actress is Bonnie Bell D'Elia yeah um, yeah it was gonna be Demi Moore who was engaged to Bruce Willis at the time 
So it makes um, sense. She was on set a lot as well because Bruce Willis was there. Um, Mel Streep, yeah, there was some other big names. There was like, loads of big names, but it was a heavily sought after role. Yeah. Because it wasn't that da- it wasn't really a damsel in this distress kind of thing. Even no. though towards the end, there's definitely shades of that where like Hans Gruber has a gun up to her head. Yeah. But a lot of it's just about this strong woman who actually left her husband mm. went from New York to LA got this big corporate job 10 and times is, more successful and has got her two kids at home yeah yeah. like she, is kicking ass and you know? she's the only one who gets to Hans Gruber throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. he, she's not even phased no. in it, you know like there's, yeah sure there's a little bit of I don't know she's a little bit frightened but yeah. she kind of she holds her own she does sure, she punches that reporter at the end yeah which is great gets his comeuppance yeah. one of the Johnsons yeah yeah there are multiple Johnsons Harvey Johnson Harvey Johnson oh John- is Harvey Johnson not the news presenter ooh oh, oh maybe not Harvey Johnson's the let news presenter let me have a look there's three Johnsons yeah there are multiple Johnsons in this movie and they're all in memory or not memory but named after Reginald Vell Johnson who's Al Powell in the movie Sergeant the twinkie Al loving yeah. cop yeah. Um. Uh, do you want to? Who drives like Stevie Wonder? Yes, drives like Stevie Wonder. Uh, famous. He's like always plays a cop. Hang on, I'm gonna see if I can find it. Yeah. So there's FBI special agent Bill Johnson, played by Robert Davi, good friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Then there's FBI agent Little Johnson. <laughs> uh, oh, Big Johnson and Little Johnson. Okay. Love it. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> and then there's Harvey Johnson as well, and he's he's the. Uh, News presenter. He's the I news presenter. Say. I think the guy keeps getting shit wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great. I love that. The humor. It's yeah. brilliant. The humor in this movie is amazing. And the only reason why we even know anything about these characters, mm-hmm. these small secondary character characters, mm. yeah. is because Bruce Willis is shooting Moonlighting. Yeah, his big uh, his TV big series. TV series. So he was shooting Moonlighting during the day, and then at night he was coming and shooting Die Hard. Very similar to what. Um, Michael J. Fox was doing yeah for Fast and Furious oh, not Fast and Furious Back <laughs> to the Future Back to the Future if only if only no uh, where he was doing the same thing I think he was filming Spin City yeah Spin City and then he would come at night and he would shoot uh, Back to the Future he used to sleep in the back of the car yeah yes. he'd have a, a mattress in the back of the car so like Bruce Willis was doing the same and that's why they expanded on all these small characters and all these small characters got these special little moments and that's why they have such good character arcs in this film and you feel like you learn a lot about the characters and you're invested in them you know way too much about the smaller characters you really do you never would know that no and it's and it's just great and it's nice that you spend so much time with them whereas John McClane's story yeah you see exactly as much as him as you need to you know and you he obviously like him the best by the end of, of course it. Yeah. but you still learn so much about everyone else Big and that's time. kind of indicative of the whole movie because they were building sets and not knowing what they were going to do with them they were writing the movie while filming yeah it completely was, it was crazy like they were trying to figure shit out while while doing the whole thing I mean there's the famous moment in the in the computer room in the movie where you know Hans Gruber shoots the glass yeah. you know because he knows John McClane has no shoes on and everything and uh, uh, that they, they built that set and had no idea what they were going to do with I it I love how they were just building shit yeah like, We'll use it. We'll use it somehow. We'll figure it out some way. Yeah. And there's another famous one I can't think of at the moment. But oh, that the the ambulance in, yeah. doesn't fit in the truck at all. No, and it wasn't in the truck. No. There's a shot in the movie where you can see the back of the truck, no yeah. ambulance in there and they're all getting out. So when the Germans pull up, mm-hmm. they it opens up and hands and crew walk out yeah. and you can clearly see mm-hmm. there's no ambulance. Oh, it's crazy. And then later on, mm-hmm. while still writing it, they yeah. were like, oh, I got it. Do you know where the screenwriter got that idea from? Uh, no, what from? He wrote... It, oh, um, oh, let me get this right. 
So he wrote a TV movie yeah. years ago that got aired like once or twice. No okay. one had seen it. it. I think it was an adaptation of The Spirit. Yeah. The comic book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no one's seen it. And in the film, mm-hmm. in the TV movie, um, like the, the bad guys or the terrorists or whatever, mm-hmm. they blow up an ambulance. Uh, they, they blow up a hospital yeah. in it to get away for whatever they're doing. Okay. And then they get in an ambulance. Right. So when all the ambulances are going towards the hospital or whatever, mm-hmm. they're also in an ambulance. And he said, oh, let me use that. Let, let, and I don't know. That's how that's how he explains it. It's totally. So he, he stole it from his own yeah. movie that no one had seen. It's such a good like plan though as well. Like the 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 terrorist robbers plan is just so. When you're watching it, you're like, oh, that's really clever. Oh, yeah. that's really clever. And you're never you're never behind on information. Like you always know what's about to happen before it happens. Like you know that they're going to use the FBI's tactics against them. You know that Bruce Willis has the gun to his back. You're never yeah. not in the know of what's happening. You always have all the information, which is why it makes it so much more satisfying to totally. watch. You know? You're never scrambling to try to figure out what's going on no, at all. No, And It's the worst thing about a movie. When you, know, when you watch a movie and you're like, I know that I'm supposed to know what's going on. Yeah. It's not supposed to be mysterious and yeah. I'm still not understanding it. Yeah, exactly. You always have all the information, which yeah. is nice. Um, so yeah, we kind of have the movie playing. So we're on the first scene, and you were saying there's a cool deleted scene with this. Oh man, this yeah. is good. So this is when the plane lands, mm-hmm. and John McClane is taken now. The famous teddy bear. Yeah. This teddy bear has his own agent. It does, and it appears in the Hunt for Red October. Another... Yeah, John McTier- This is John McTiernan's teddy bear. Yeah, it's his muse. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Because he's such a harsh man, yeah. John McTiernan. You're like. But yet you get teddy bears. You I put know. Your, you know, John Woo has his white doves. Mm-hmm. John McTernan has his massive teddy bear. He definitely has it in his house. You know the way yeah, directors I'd like to keep think props so. and I'd everything? Like to think so. I found out that um, Adam Driver has his lightsaber and the full Kylo Ren costume. Ah, He took it from Disney and he, was like, he has it in his house. And Hope he, he wears that while he fucks his wife. Yeah, me too. And he literally he just keeps the helmet on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't know my power. <laughs> <laughs> but he literally says he has the lightsaber mounted on his wall. So, that's so goddamn that's so cool. cool if I had a lightsaber I'd do the exact same oh, thing oh yeah like if I was Iron Man I'd have suits everywhere yeah yeah I just won full suit oh it'd be so good mm-hmm. anyway um, so this is the scene with it what would you call her air hostess yeah she's the air hostess who gives John McClane fuck me eyes fuck me eyes yeah. in the deleted scene mm-hmm. she looks at the teddy and goes oh you should have bought her a ticket and he goes her she's underage and she goes I'm not Oh Jesus! How steamy <laughs> and ex- like all right it is that. Oh my God! She goes, I'm not, and his eyes are like, okay. I'm glad they left that out. Fucking LA, huh? Yeah, <laughs> they do such a good job of John McClane. Again, so endearing. Immediately out of his comfort zone, completely, yeah. completely and utterly out of his comfort zone. But that was way too far. Yeah. That makes him too handsome. Totally. And too good looking. So when I seen that outtake, I was like. I'm so glad they deleted mm-hmm. that even though it's so good at the same time it, the movie acknowledges too much that John McClane is Bruce Willis famous actor you know yeah totally it's, yeah. it steps over the line just that bit yeah. um, did you know in this movie there are three Playboy Playmates oh, damn I was going to say that <laughs> oh, she's yes. about to jump in she is she's about to jump in so uh, uh, they have one Playboy Playmate is at the airport, the one who jumps into the hands on ass I always stared at when I was a kid. Totally. You don't yeah. get to see anything but her ass. Yeah, that's it. So that's probably why she was And fired. a lucky boyfriend. Yes, very lucky boyfriend. Um, There's the... Oh, yeah. Th- that's Lucy McLean? Lucy McLean. Who'd she go to school with? 
who does she go? Lucy McLean is the little daughter who's like yeah. she says something weird on she's so cute on yeah. the phone. That's yeah. the the daughter. She went to school with Rami Malik, that little girl. Did there. she actually? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh. She's not she's not a big actress at all. No, no. But she went to school with Rami Malik. That's Sorry, awesome. you were on. No, I was just the playmates. Um another one is the one of the couple having sex in one of the rooms. Yes, where you get to see a bit more horror. You do. And then the third one is the one in the poster that John McClane walks by. Again, stares at every time. I love that. It's such a great little moment, again, humanizing him, that whenever he walks by, he's like, so focused, so focused. Oh, boobs. Oh, and boobs. then he keeps yeah, going. Yeah. You know? And then it's a good... I had this debate with my girlfriend. Yeah. I watched it with her when we were doing the research. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's kind of weird. He wouldn't do that. And I'm like, that's the beauty of this movie. Yeah. He would do that. Yeah, he would do that. A better guy wouldn't. Yeah. A better guy is like, my mind is on the task. I yeah. need to save my wife, who I love deeply. Mm-hmm. And no, John McClane is like, boobs. Yeah. But attractive woman boobs, on the wall. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But then he, he touches them at one Yeah, stage. he says something like, oh, hey, or something like, like okay. that. He, he, either way, he acknowledges and it's, the poster. It, it's such a memorable landmark. You know where he is as well. because That's that's a very good point, you actually. Was, you as the audience are like, oh, yeah, that's that poster. Oh, okay, yeah. so now I know where he is and everything. And Oh, uh, oh here she yeah, is. Yeah, here she is. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a famous... Okay buff that guy is and you know what that's the thing it's John McClane an ordinary looking man taking on what would have been the action stars of the time because all the guys he fights are big buff dudes yep. they're like they'd be part of a, a special forces team or something oh, totally they all look like ex-military yeah even that guy there who was meeting the girlfriend is like this huge buff ripped dude much bigger than John McClane yeah and that's why I think it's great that they took out that scene yeah of the air hostess like like the fuck me eyes okay yeah. but like to actually go that far means like he's an absolute dime piece of a yeah, man yeah. which he's not supposed to be no the, not the character anyway. Bruce Willis yeah. in, in the 80s very handsome of man. course yeah oh, that's yeah. why he's in this movie yeah but, but you, you don't want that no you don't want the uh, the acknowledgement of that um, and then yeah that he puts the teddy in the back seat like it's the trunk or something yeah I know it's so good it's very good it's again and the fact that you know he's being picked up by a limo driver um, it's, who looks like 12 yeah who looks 12 years old no one's coming to meet him at the airport you know and he looks kind of when he's looking at the couple, young couple he's like oh man I remember those days it also kind of feels like the wife's flexing even though I'm not sure if she even had anything to do with this or yeah. this was her boss but either way he's kind of going fuck she's doing really well yeah she's doing you know? really well I, I just love that that um you know the whole thing and sorry we should say Nakatomi Plaza we just seen it for the first time it's the actual Fox building isn't Fox it Fox Plaza Fox Plaza yeah and uh, I they, think they were searching for a place mm-hmm. to film this and they're like who would allow us to do this we yeah. need like some sort of big tower mm-hmm. it was right in their doorstep right in their doorstep it, it was their doorstep yeah and did you hear about all the trouble designing the logo for Nakatomi Plaza no uh, the initial logo they thought looked too much like a swastika Okay. So they had to switch it up and make it more. They wanted it to look kind of futuristic and have a Japanese influence. So they went for something that looks like a samurai's helmet. Oh, That's okay. what they cool, kind of settled cool. on. But initially it looked very swastika-esque and they were like, we need to... <laughs> With the German connection as well, that'd yeah. be a bit much, wouldn't it? Actually, funny enough, while we're on the German connection, when they released this film initially in Germany... And this is fantastic. This is very... This relates to us. This is relevant to our podcast because if you don't know, we're, we're Irish, but the, the terrorists were Irish terrorists in uh, the German release of this film. Which makes no sense when you get to the third movie. No. Because then it's it's uh, Hans Gruber's brother yeah. and there's loads of Nazi paraphernalia well, well they're looking through the photographs and yeah. there's loads of shots of him 
as a part of the Nazi faction. Yeah, with a German group and everything. So it makes no sense yeah. that they're Irish. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's just it's kind. Of, it, it was a very sensitive topic at the time, obviously. So they were what radical Irish activists? Yeah, I think they were IRA. They were IRA connections. Yeah, or pretty something. much. But they were re- renamed like Henry, Harry, and Paddy, and all this. Stuff. Yeah, and I think James was Jack. As yeah. if that needs to be changed know, anyway. Yeah. Jimmy. Hmm. But so, yeah. oh yeah, but Fox. Mm-hmm. So they they used the Fox Plaza. Yeah. Because there were certain <laughs> floors that were under construction mm-hmm. that they could use. Yeah. And they actually charged themselves rent. Really? Wow, that's it, that's typical. Why? I, yeah. Maybe there's like some tax incentive or whatever. Yeah. But either way, they actually charged themselves themselves rent. Love that. Which just sounds crazy. Yeah. Um. But we should get back to. I was saying that uh, about the wife. You know, it's it's nice that the. You know, it was kind of a sought-after role, as you brought up earlier, because she's doing better than him and everything. And, it's and she's super strong even in the second one. She's Yeah, she's... Die harder. Die harder. I say she's even, ha- like, more strong because she's in the plane, but she's not the one freaking out. No. Yeah, she's she's kind of calm and collecting. Calm and she tases down. your man again. Yeah. The guy she, she punches. Yeah. It's just... Uh, it's just... She's a good character, and it's nice that... Uh, it's nice that, like, John McClane gets to be the action hero, but really, like... She's the stronger person overall, you and know? the better person, and the better person exactly. The better, uh, the better, yeah, the mother. Like yeah. she, here, will I tell you some? Uh, uh, this is slightly related. Yeah. But she is a relative. Mm-hmm. She's related to someone who's also a huge part of Christmas pop culture. Really? She's the aunt of Macaulay Culkin. No, is she? Her brother is the father of Macaulay Culkin. That is amazing. He's a staple. In Christmas pop culture. Home Alone. Holy shit. So she's a part of the greatest Christmas movie and he's a part of one of the greatest Christmas movies. Yeah. That's awesome. The Christmas faction that family has. Man, I didn't know that. That's a great connection. It's cool, isn't it? I love that, yeah. I came across that just today and I was like, oh, I better fucking remember that one. Yeah. And actually, you're you're big into the music and we just saw it came up on screen. He's whistling jingle bells and everything. Do you want to talk about... One more thing about her, though. Oh, okay. Do you know that she's seven years older? Than Bruce Willis, really? the actress. She looks so much younger. So think about 1988. Yeah. That's think about now. That's unheard of. Yeah. It's it's always the the younger the younger love interest. Totally. To the man. To the man. Yeah. And he's the one who got her hired. Yeah. Well, apparently, but he yeah. he doesn't acknowledge it now. He says, "Oh no, I didn't have any hands." Really? Because yeah, I, I think I watched her. I was like. Uh, like John McTiernan talks about how Bruce Willis loved her apparently apparently Bruce Willis doesn't acknowledge it but they think it's out of modesty now okay. he, he doesn't want to say that doesn't sound like him I know yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I, I I read that and I was like that sounds weird but uh, yeah apparently out of modesty he's like no 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 she got hired on her own merit I didn't say anything so it may, let's hope he was just being nice yeah I think he was Um, but uh yeah, sorry. Uh, I was gonna. Say, you want to talk about the music and stuff in this? Oh, I have some good stuff about this music. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm less informed about the music, but uh, I just know there's Christmas songs and they're integrating different yeah. things. Like you have Argyle in the car playing Run DMC. You know the Christmas. He's like, it is Christmas music. I love yeah. that. Well, th- famously, Die Hard uses Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this was all John McTiernan. This is why he like, as I said, his fingerprints are everywhere. Yeah. So John McTiernan comes to Michael Kamen, mm-hmm. that's the composer, and he's like, I think the German thieves, yeah. their their theme should be Beethoven's Ode to Joy, mm-hmm. which sounds even strange saying it here because it's a very happy song. Yeah. And Michael Kamen's like, it's literally sacrilegious to put <laughs> Beethoven in an action movie. Th- no less to use it as who you, th- are, like German thieves posing as German terrorists yeah. as their theme. 
Um, I watched an interview literally and it, it was from him and he was like, I'll tear apart Bach, I'll do whatever you want with these, but please don't make me do anything to Beethoven. To Beethoven, yeah. I love that. Like a true composer yeah. would be like that. And uh, John McTernan, oh, hits him with some film trivia. Yeah. He's like, Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. the most ultra mega mega violent movie ever, yeah. uses Ode to Joy. Mm-hmm. And Michael Kamen was like, fuck, I'm a big fan of Stanley yeah. Kubrick. Yeah. Okay. And then... Now, I actually haven't heard this, but maybe I just wasn't listening out for it. Yeah. But there's a super famous scene mm-hmm. in Clockwork Orange where the lead character and his goons, his mates, are beating up a couple. Yeah. And he's singing, singing in the rain. And oh. there's elements of singing in the rain in the composition as well. Oh. And Winter Wonderland's in it as well. Mm-hmm. Walking yeah. in a Winter Wonderland. Well, yeah. Um, just, just it's a, a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. Uh, we just got on screen. Um, I want to make sure I get his name right. Takashi... Uh, What's his name? The character's name, it's... Uh, the wife's boss. The wife's talking. boss. Mr. Takashi, is it? Is it Takashi? Takashi? Yeah. yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, Mr. Takashi. But there's a whole backstory written for that character. That really? He was, he was a Japanese soldier and everything, and he was in an internment camp, and that's why he's he is a, he's so... He mentions Pearl Harbor at one point. Yeah, exactly. So that's why he's so kind of stoic and uh, is kind of resists the, oh, that's the terrorists really cool. and everything. So they had this whole backstory made out for this character. And then, speaking of other characters with backstories... Ellis! Ellis. Ellis comes up with a great... One of I the, love Ellis! One of the greatest lines in this movie. Hans! Booby! 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 Ad-libbed completely. Completely ad-libbed. But he, he thought his character, they all... All the actors were seriously... This is the coke-loving guy, by the way. Yeah. Anyone's wondering who we're talking about. All the actors... Absolute scumbag. I know. Complete scumbag. All the all the actors in this were doing some serious character work and really thinking about why they were doing things. But um, uh, he, he was like, oh, he uses cocaine because he's really unsatisfied in his life. And <laughs> that's why he's constantly trying to big up himself. So when he was acting in the scenes, he was going kind of over the top and everything. And apparently someone on set didn't like that, like McTiernan or something kind of stepped in and said, no, I want you to be a bit more subdued. But word got back to him that the producers actually liked that. Yeah. So then he kind of went for something that was more a mix between the two. And that's that's, great. And that's why you get lines like Hans, Booby and him being like, oh, I do multi-million dollar deals every day and all that. And Alan Rickman, if you watch closely, you can see him kind of. Be a bit confused when he says Hans, Booby. It's a genuine reaction. That's a genuine reaction. I love that. Yeah. And we'll get to another genuine reaction that he has later. Oh, yes, we will. Uh, very famous. That's a famous bit of movie trivia. Uh, yeah, everyone seems to know that, but yeah. we still have to cover it. Oh, of course. But I was telling you about Ellis's connection. What's the name of the actual actor? Oh, fuck. I'll yeah. get his name up here. Yeah, you told me about this. Because uh, it- <laughs> he's down, right? It's Hart Buckner or Boschner, I okay. think. Okay. Um, as Harry Ellis, a sleazy Nakatomi executive. That's what it says yeah. here on Wikipedia. Yeah. So Hart Bochner, mm-hmm. his father starred alongside Frank Sinatra in The Detective. Which is technically, it's, it's in the same sequel. universe, kind of. Do you know Frank Sinatra and um, Bruce Willis are in the same movie for a second as well? Really? So there's two John McClane's in the same room, Ooh. in the same scene for a second. Wow. Now... Bruce Willis is an extra. Like oh, it was, it was okay. really early days for him. Yeah, but still, it's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Yeah, that's a nice. There's a lot of intersecting things. I always love to see that. Movies. You want to hear a good one, then? Yeah, go on. Okay, so Stallone was nearly mm-hmm. John McClane. Yeah, Schwarzenegger was nearly John McClane. Yeah, and then of course Bruce Willis was John McClane. Yeah. So all the 
all of them are in um, Expendables. Expendables. Yeah. And what's really funny is because Bruce Willis is a dickhead and talked mm. himself out of a role yeah. in the third movie, mm-hmm. another possible John McClane takes his place. Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Holy shit. <laughs> There's so many people in those so Expendable many, movies. So many John McClanes. I know. I watched them and I, I've watched all three of them and I'm like, these aren't good, but I do enjoy them in this some way. This third one though kind of it's really bad yeah it doesn't do what the others do it just doesn't embrace the old school R-rated action that's that's the only good thing is that like the first one is super R-rated and yeah. there's people being cut in half and you're like man that's awesome have you heard Terry Crews talk about that movie no we should get into it <laughs> but at, anyway at some stage his character didn't have a moment and because he was uh, he felt this moment where he wasn't enjoying being on the Expendables set he didn't want to really work with that and then in his head he went Terry just get on, get on with it, do your thing, be really nice and upfront, and just take your role as seriously as possible, do your work. And eventually, Stallone noticed his work effort, work ethic, and how good he was, and that's why he gets the scene in the one where he shows up and saves everyone. Ah. That scene was not originally in the movie. So he deserved it. He worked for it. He worked for he it, basically. He didn't even realize like, that no. he was just doing what he was supposed to do, yeah. help him get but it. But he was like, that was a turning point for me in my career where I could have gone one way where I was... I was feeling like just staying in my trailer, just reading that's my lines really and coming cool. back. And then he decided, no, I'm just going to work at this properly. And then that's how he got this role. Do you want to hear... I know we just went off it, but we the did. composer... Yeah. Do you want to hear some mad little bit of trivia? Yes, please. I went deep into all these actors. He did. He always so, does. So, <laughs> Michael Kamen, the composer mm-hmm. of Die Hard, yeah. um, he's a co-writer Mm-hmm. On one of the cheesiest movie songs of all time. From Top Gun? No. Oh. Cheesy, kind of bad. Okay. Canada officially apologized for this artist. Oh, Canada apologized? Officially apologized in a South Park episode. So yes. didn't... <laughs> for, I'll, um, I'll give you, I'll give you. For, oh, I can't think of his name now. Um, Brian Adams. Brian Adams, yeah. Everything uh, I do. I do for you. I do uh, for you. What movie is that in? The, comp- um, the Kevin Costner, Robin Hood. Oh, fuck yeah. Michael Kamen co-wrote that with Brian Adams. Did he actually? So the composer of Die Hard co-wrote the cheesiest song in film oh, history. Oh my God, that's awful. Oh, <laughs> I cannot believe that. By the way, I'm just. There is no way you could tell that she is eight years older than Bruce Willis. She looks seven. But seven. Yeah, I she know. Looks totally. Amazing. I um, just love that they kind of like mess with the with the ingredients. You know that way. Like that, yeah. that's that never happens. Yeah, it is. This is around the time where James Bond is having sex. Like Roger Moore yeah. is having sex with like a sixteen year old in the and movie. Women. He's it, Roger Moore is so funny because he's young in the first James Bond, and then all of a sudden in every other movie he's in, he's an old man. He's clearly fifty. Yeah, he's like <laughs> he's like okay, he's a young enough guy, could be thirties, forties. Oh, he's in his late fifties. Yeah, why is for, he fucking that child? For every other movie, he's in his late fifties. Um, but yeah, this this is great. Uh, there's the Playboy Playmate. Oh uh, yes, yeah, there she is. But before she gets. Stuff like a turkey. Yes. Yeah. Well, we had uh, we also had the scene. We've just passed it here. They talk about the watch, the Rolex that you get. You know, it's the first time you meet Ellis and everything. Oh yeah, and that, that hurts. Yeah, it does. You can see Bruce Willis hurting inside. Yeah. Well, John McClane hurting John McClane inside. Hurt. That's a, a Chekhov's Rolex, if you will, because obviously at the end, you know, the symbol of what took her away and what kept them apart, and her kind of growing as a person, 
Hans Gruber is holding on and it's literally about to kill her. So, you know, there's nice symbolism there. That's very good. I never thought of that. Yeah, and it's 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 uh, John McClane saves her by unclasping it and Hans Gruber falls and this is where we should get into the famous surprise trivia that uh, the stunt guy told uh, Alan Rickman that he was going to drop him off the side on three and he dropped him on two and because... Uh, McTiernan was shooting in 300 frames per second they were able to make it in slow motion and you get that beautiful surprised face as Hans falls to his death yeah he's just yeah. like what the fuck yeah now the stunt it was, was a do- 40 foot drop as well yeah like 40 is, is that's like double my house yeah that's a, that's a serious drop and uh, Bruce Willis is the first thing he did on set was he jumped out of a, a window? Yeah, with the explosion in the background the ex- and everything, the pyrotechnics. The, yeah, and they and they were like, "Well, why, 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 why was that the first thing I shot?" And apparently, some guy on set was like, "Well, if you died or something bad happened, you know, we could just reshoot the whole movie." Yeah, we can just get someone else. Yeah, where obviously they trusted in Alan Rickman mm-hmm. because they used his falling scene. They shot that last. Yeah, maybe just not to piss him off as well. No, maybe the, maybe John McTiernan in his head had always had that in mind. He was yeah. like, "I know how to get a good good take out of him," but. Uh, the first scene that Alan Rickman did shoot was um, when John McClane and him met and it was the first time Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman met totally unrehearsed totally unrehearsed and Alan Rickman is wearing a knee brace through that scene because he injured it when he falls down <laughs> he doesn't even fall he just jumps he just jumps down he jumps down because he's doing some sort of thing and he's checking the explosives or yeah. whatever and he just jumps down Yeah. probably a three foot high drop I, and for some reason he fucked up his knee wrecks his knee because yeah. he's a 41 year old man <laughs> yeah 41 years of age but uh, a lot of this movie is made great by the different contributions that people make Alan Rickman was the guy who was like, hey, listen, I think uh, Hans Gruber should wear a suit instead of the tactical gear. And you know, you never even really think about it. No. Until you hear that and you're like, oh yeah. It's such a good thing. Gives him an intelligence instantly. Like you just feel like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Totally. And one of the first things you hear him say to someone else is nice suit. I have some of them myself and everything. And he's not a brute. No, he's never a brute. Uh, Alan Rickman himself is uncomfortable handling weapons and guns. They had to cut and you it. see it. You do. You see it at one stage when he shoots uh, Takashi. Uh, he shoots him and he kind of winces, you know? Now, that yeah. has something to do with John McTiernan as well. It does, yeah. Because John McTiernan wanted those blanks mm-hmm. to sound real. Yeah. So real. Mm-hmm. That that <laughs> Bruce Willis is two-thirds deaf in his left ear. Yeah, because uh, it's, a, it's a scene where... Uh, the guy... I was going to say the famous scene... It is pretty famous. The whole movie's famous. The whole, the whole movie's, movie's famous, a famous scene. Yeah. Honestly, like everything we say, you'll be like, yeah, I remember that. I, I know exactly that. what you're talking about. You're just going to want to watch Die Hard again. Oh. I've watched it like four or five times now. I want to go home and watch it again. I know. It's so good. Yeah. I always talk. When we talk about these movies, I get yeah. excited. I'm like, I need to watch this. I need to watch it again. But yeah, it's where the guy's standing over him. He's like... Uh, well, he's under the table. Yeah. He's shuffling around and, and the guy's unloading. Guy's like, bit of advice. Next time you get a chance to kill someone, take it. And he shoots him under the table and you kind of look and he's like the gun is right next to his and left there and he's kind of wincing it's more like, painful yeah but again it's such a good action hero moment because if it was someone else it'd be one shot and the guy would fall dead but Bruce, he's just like yeah. making sure that he kills him and everything do you know they had to do those shots after five because they were pissing off everyone in the building <laughs> there was so many complaints yeah because they first went in and just was doing like explosives and fake gunshots at like two in the day and yeah. there's like I think John McTernan says that there was a floor full of lawyers that just fucking freaked out every time it was like stop doing it we can't work I can imagine they had lawyers especially you do not want to fuck with yeah. them yeah so they, they were wrecking everyone's head in the building I love that Um, and that uh, 
fuck, I had something to say now. It's gone out of my head. Um, oh, yes. Sorry. The movie starts and the sun is setting. And the sun doesn't officially set until they start heisting the building. And that's when it's nighttime. And then towards the end, the sun starts rising again. That's brilliant. So that's kind of... That's another kind of neat thing that the movie does yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to get that in there because I remember watching that. <laughs> and then... Uh, but yeah, Alan Rickman, they only did that scene between him and John McClane. Wasn't in the script. This is like we were saying where they were writing stuff on the fly. Yep. Wasn't in the script. And uh, they heard at the crafts table that Alan Rickman kind of had a, a decent... Uh, a decent American decent accent. Decent American accent. So they put that scene in and it's just such a great scene, you know? So Alan Rickman is an Englishman yeah. playing a German who's pretending to be an American. Yeah, it's awesome. And John McTiernan still isn't happy with that scene because... He uh, he thinks that uh, he thinks that you can hear Mc, uh, Alan Rickman's, Rickman's British accent through it. Whereas I I actually think and we both agreed on this that it helps the scene. It makes it more authentic almost yeah. because like he's not perfect at doing the accent. Yeah, exactly. Even if it is an English accent, you're kind of like, well, he's a German guy trying to. Yeah, you're just hearing something weird about it. Yeah, I, I don't pick up an English accent out of it. I no. just hear this. It's there's just some o- sort of defect in there. It's off slightly. Yeah. you know. Oh my God, you're one of them. Oh, you're one. Them. You're one of them, aren't you? And then even he actually says, um, Alan Rickman says it was an LA accent. He was like, I think I can do a California accent. I think is what yeah, he said. Yeah, oh, it's so good. And the fact that in that scene, you know, his hair is kind of down and like over his face, so he looks kind of rushed and everything. I love the astonishment at first. Yeah, and he's like, oh shit, he's like a deer in headlights, and then yeah. he's like, oh god, Christ, no, yeah. don't, please, don't hurt me. And also the terrorists kind of work well together, you know. Because they have that good teamwork moment and it's in the scene where uh, he's shooting under the table. Um, but it's before then where there's the one terrorist with his hands up and the other one comes through and your man just drops to the floor. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's such a good, like, that'd be like, that would be what the heroes would do, you Hell know? yeah, yeah. So I just like like all those moments. And then there's uh, there's obviously Theo, who's the hacker guy. Theo. I love Theo. Yeah, he's awesome. He's putting in work as yeah. like a background actor I know. and everything. I think everyone is. Everyone's always putting in work again because they had to shoot around uh, moonlighting. You know, every all the small characters get really nice moments. But Theo, you know, improvising those lines and the quarterback is toast and everything. <laughs> like ugh, it's all just so good and memorable. Um, yeah. So we should get into. I've just funny enough, it just came up on the screen there. Uh, we're talking about memorable things. Uh, the suit thing isn't one of the first things he brings up. It's, right. It's a bit in. He's actually. It's when he's looking for Takashi. Oh, okay, Takagi okay. that he looked that he brings it up but uh, a famous scene is when they're in the elevator that's when he mentions the suits and yes. everything and then when he's coming through uh, he quotes Plutarch I believe it's Plutarch and it's uh, yes it is and he says um, when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer that's actually a misquote of Plutarch but it says all you need to know about the character yeah. of uh, Hans Gruber because he thinks that the, obviously he's an educated man but he's actually misquoting that to fit his own narrative of him being this great conqueror who's going to take everything whereas really what the quote is it's uh, it's slightly different he wept because there were a world to conquer that he would never as in his ambition uh, Alexander's ambition uh, ambition was um was kind of bigger than himself. Yeah, yeah. You know, he could never conquer all these places. And that's the real quote. And it's so, it's kind of, it's an interesting, tells you a lot about the it's character. It's very clever. It's very clever where, you know. It's re- kind of like that inside thing that a lot of people would not pick up on, like no, myself. No, I, I, I only got it because, again, watched this movie now so many times yeah. and I've looked into these things. Um, 
But yeah, and then the fact that we've just had the moment where he's talking to Takashi and he thinks that they're all terrorists and they're just looking to stir things up. And then you find out that they're thieves looking to rob $640 million <laughs> in bearer bonds. Yeah, as I've seen John McTernan puts it. Yeah. They're thieves looking for monetary gain. Yeah. Just very simple. Very simple. I love that when you're like... There's a certain amount of money where you're like, man, that's far too much money. Yeah, yeah. But then you're listening to 604 and you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But it's, for some reason, that makes sense as an amount of money they would have. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it goes a little too far in Die Hard 3. Yeah. Where it's billions yeah. and multiple billions yeah, when they steal all the gold. You're like, oh, You're wow. like, holy shit. They're pretty much saying that... American economy is going the flat line because of all the gold yeah. that he stole. That's the, you made a really good point about Die Hard with a Vengeance where you were saying there are some, when it's being smaller and it's more self-contained, they have these great little moments. And it some, makes sense for John McClane. Yeah, it makes sense for John McClane. But then sometimes they give these wide reaching kind of global, like for example, it'll crash the world, the yeah. American economy. And you're like, that's a bit. It's too big. Like John McClane shouldn't really be involved in just that. Just keep it a little smaller. Yeah. You know? And this happens in Die Hard too as well. Well, yeah. Well, like I, I only after watching this, I was like straight into Die Hard Two. I was like, oh, I have yeah. to watch Die Hard Two. Yeah. And then I see he's on a snowmobile and he's shooting, and I'm like, that's not John McClane. He's no. been too skilled and talented all yeah, of a sudden. And then he's on a helicopter and he's getting onto a moving plane, and I'm yeah. like, that's not the John McClane that I love. John no. McClane that I love barely escapes. Yeah. You know, all the time. And barely survives. Even in fighting, he's not too skilled either. No. I, and it's all just pure aggression and blunt force when you're watching these fight scenes you're like oh this doesn't look choreographed that's the best thing yeah. you can say about it you know Do you know what i also hate about die hard too what is when it starts he seems like a good guy yeah he's even got this sweater on mm -hmm. that makes it, he looks so much more together yeah and i don't like it no i like this type of john mcclain spilling out over the edges totally i mean you can show him like a slight improvement but yeah of course like this this doesn't uh it, it's not going to completely change who he is you know yeah. an experience like this um what i also like is the characters of carl and tony vresca yeah. right? he kills carl early on in the movie and creates this yeah we actually got is. a pop funko for anyone who's listening there you are and then john mcclain and the uh, hans gruber pop funkos who are opposed to each other you know if you notice that that's a a nice touch in the funko figures very but, nice but um uh yeah you're talking about the goons yeah so the the carl and tony vresca he kills carl and not only kills him but in such a mocking way that he creates this like arch rival mm -hmm. that he doesn't even know about he doesn't no, even he know has no clue he's no clue that he's created this guy who's out for revenge in such a and pure carl fashion it's just pissed off through the whole movie yeah like he just gets anytime you don't get him yeah he's so fixed sure he, he flips the table yeah at one point yeah exactly and you, like McLean never knows what he's actually done to this guy <laughs> yeah, I and I just love that aspect of him <laughs> yeah. that like he's 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 so he's only barely informed on what's going on he's writing the names on the arm and everything and he's but just... what's great is like the film builds attention for us yeah without McLean having any idea totally because you're like oh my god Carl's gonna fucking kill him yeah and yeah. Carl is an ex-Russian ballerina, yeah. by the way. And he's huge. Yeah, he is. And he defected from the Soviet Union in real life. The actor who plays him. And uh, as you said, unfortunately died of alcohol poisoning. S seven years later. Apparently the guy... From this movie. From, yeah. Apparently this guy was like a heavy drinker, the actor who played him. So 40... At the age of 45, he died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's madness. It is madness. Um, well, he looks so much healthier than Bruce Willis in yeah. this movie. Yeah. And Bruce Willis is smoking and everything. Yeah. That's another great moment. Like... 
uh, in Predator, you know, Arnie smokes these big cigars and everything, whereas John McClane is like just having one cigarette, and you're like, oh, this this is kind of a nice moment where yeah. he's he's a human guy, you know, totally, yeah, with um, his vices, yeah, he has his vices, um, yeah, this is just a great movie overall. Oh, it's so good. Uh, do you want to know about John McTiernan? I do. I would love to know about John McTiernan. Uh, you told me that John McTiernan went to prison and I was not told why. <laughs> so there's a reason why. We've, we've been harping on about how great John McTiernan is yeah. and how heavily influenced this movie is mm-hmm. because of that man. Yeah. He hasn't made a movie in like 20 years. Okay. There's reasons why. Not 20 years, but around at least 10. Okay. And he might not make another movie again. Right. He went... John McTiernan went to prison. Mm-hmm. For making a bad movie. Rollerball. Rollerball. Let me just set this up, right? So John McTernan, 87, mm-hmm. Predator. 88, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. 1990, The Hunt for the Red October. 1993, The Last Action Hero. Oh my God, what Hell, a movie. What a misunderstood movie at yeah. the time. Yeah. Classic. Then 1995, Die Hard 3. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy is on an Uber roll. He is. So, fast forward to 2002. He's making rollerball. Mm-hmm. Everything bad about this movie is because of John McTiernan. Oh, no. It's the opposite of Die Hard. Yeah. So, this, yeah, 2002. LL Cool J is like the lead in this movie. That says it all. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be this movie about extreme roller roller derbying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like extreme rollerblading. It's like a roller derby thing where they're fighting with weapons and shit like that. Yeah. And it was a remake of a 1975 movie. Mm-hmm. And it was all about social commentary. John McTiernan walks in and he's like, fuck the social commentary. It needs to be about extreme rollerblading. Okay. It needs to be about the silly action. So he gets rid of all like these like deeper, like these deeper ideas and all like that. Yeah. And he just focuses heavily on that. He gets a bit paranoid. Oh. Because John McTiernan does whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> so there's this big time producer called Charles Roven. Mm-hmm. You might recognize his name from like Batman versus Superman. Oh, right. Like he's still chugging away. Yeah. And um, Charles Roven was kind of against some of these terrible moves that John McTiernan was doing. Mm-hmm. And John McTiernan gets paranoid. So he uh, hires a Hollywood fixer. Mm-hmm. To illegally wiretap Charles Roven's phone. Fuck off. So he can listen to the correspondence between Roven and the studio. Because he has a feeling that, like, Roven's trying to change his product, you know? Oh, shit. So he gets caught. And the FBI get involved. And officially, he went to prison for lying to the FBI. That's mm-hmm. what I, I could find. So, like, it's like for giving false statements to the FBI, which is a big no-no. Yeah. So obviously they proved that he did do this. Mm-hmm. So he went to prison for 10 months and then he had to spend two months under house arrest, filed for bankruptcy while he was in prison. Holy shit. All because he (laughs) illegally wiretapped this producer's phone. What a fall from grace. Holy shit. So he really is that madman who will do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. And then what's even worse is he might be going back to prison because while they were investigating this, they figured out that he had done this to his ex-wife while they were going through a divorce. Oh, no. So he was, like, listening in to the conversations between her and her lawyer. So this is legally... is a, is a pending uh, situation at the moment. In like, 2019? It's legally pending. Oh, my God. So he could go back to prison, like... Holy shit. So John McTernan is a legit madman. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Holy shit, that is... So if you're a producer on a John McTernan 
movie. Watch out. <laughs> Make yeah. calls from a payphone. Yeah, jeez. Because Johnny Boy is listening. I love your notes, by the way. It just has prison written in block capitals <laughs> at one stage. That's great. Oh, I should say that Rollerball cost mm-hmm. 70 million to make and it made 25 million. Like, We're, it was dire. Whereas uh, Die Hard made 86 million in US box office. Yeah. And then how many abroad? 141 altogether 100, worldwide. 141 altogether worldwide. So it was a huge smash. Massive smash. Yeah. So, yeah, when I when I read about this, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. No wonder we don't hear the name John McTernan anymore. No. And I'm saying it now. Die Hard 6. <laughs> get Johnny Boy back. Yeah, get him back. I want to see that movie. A return to form for Bruce Willis and John McTernan. Get and this- if there's anyone who can tame the ego of Bruce Willis, of Bruce Willis it's fucking John McTernan because totally. he's listening to everything you're saying, man. <laughs> oh my God. I'd love to see that. Get a Gruber sister in there. Yeah. Gruber sister. That'd be a modern or movie. A, v- a Varesky sister. Ooh, maybe. Switch it up. Yeah, yeah, Also yeah. a Russian ballerina. Yeah, I like it. Um, Man, that's crazy. Isn't that some good fun trivia right that there? That is some fun trivia. Holy shit. I just thought that was amazing. But to get back to Die Hard more specifically, I was just looking at all the uh, bad guys in it and Hans Gruber actually has a ethnically diverse group of thieves. He has like African-American people. He has uh, straight up Germans. He has yeah. Italians. He has one Asian guy, I think, as well. Is he? Does, There's an Asian, an Asian guy, guy in there. there, I think, yeah. We should talk about how one of the hen- henchmen, mm-hmm. one of the goons, yeah. is from a, a famous sequel. Uh Oh, yes, yeah. He's from... He's uh, you so miss this guy. He doesn't have much screen time. Yeah, he's Ghostbusters he, too. He's Vigo. He's Vigo. Yeah. He's the portrait, the guy who just looks like he's smelling bad things over and over. <laughs> yeah. Just making those weird faces. Mm-hmm. Who dealt it? Yeah. Um, he wants the baby. Yes, yeah. he wants the baby. He's in this movie, and it's so easily missed. His name is James in the movie. So mm-hmm. if you hear the word James, look out for him. Vigo's That's in there. Vigo. Yeah. I couldn't believe that when I found it out. Man, is that him there? No, I don't think that's no. him. Um, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, you pointed that out to me and I was like, oh man, what a great connection. Especially because we've been talking a lot about Ghostbusters. Yeah. The, the, these floors are really under construction, by the way, that yeah. he's running around in. Like, that's real. And you know, the script writer mm-hmm. got to walk around these floors mm-hmm. and add things into the script specific to what already existed there. Awesome. So there's things like when they're fighting on a trolley mm-hmm. and he actually seen the trolley there. He's seen the chains that he hangs your man from. Great. And the the big epic jump off the building mm-hmm. with the fire hose. It really was there on the building. Awesome. So the screenwriter was like, oh, I see my way of getting him off the building. This is great. So That's it's so just good. practical stuff. It's kind of the stuff that makes so much sense, but you feel like it doesn't get done in, yeah. other, in other movies now. Yeah, totally. Like just walk around this, uh, the real set and like see what mm. you can use. It's uh, it's nice in this movie as well where they establish that uh, the criminals because we're just coming up to the scene where is this Carl or Tony? Is it Carl or Tony who gets killed? Um, what's what's his name on the box? <laughs> what's this character's name? Is it Carl? Tony. That's Tony? Tony. It's Tony. Okay. Because Carl is the ballerina. Carl's the ballerina. Grand. Okay. Tony, they establish in this movie where, like, these guys will kill people, but they're not, like, bloodthirsty or heartless. Like, Hans Gruber, when your one mentions she's pregnant, pregnant, he's like, okay, fine, you can go to the bathroom yeah. and everything like this, you know? Oh, sure, he moves the couch out. Yeah, he moves. Because she's like, can we go into an office? And he's like, as a good criminal would say, yeah. he's like, no, we'll, we'll bring one out to you. Yeah, we'll so bring... want to keep an eye on you. Yeah, exactly. But uh, they do a good job of establishing that these guys are... They'll kill people, but they're not entirely ruthless or yeah. terrible people, you know? Then again... 
Are you blowing up the top of the building with all the hostages on it? I don't think I don't think the intention is to kill all the hostages, is it? Or it or because like why does John McClane run up to the top? Yeah, it, and start shooting at the helicopter. Isn't it because? Well, he doesn't shoot the helicopter, but he makes it look like they're shooting at the helicopter yeah. just so they back off. I thought it was a threat where they move everyone up to the roof and they have the bombs, and that was how they were going to get away. Yeah, wasn't it? Because they were going to be like, if you follow us, we'll detonate the bombs and we'll kill all the hostages. Maybe that's wasn't it. Wasn't that the plan? Yeah, but they, John McClane's running up, going, they're going to blow. Yeah. They're going to blow the roof. Yeah, well, that's because the FBI were approaching, though. That's the thing, wasn't but it? The FBI were approaching with the helicopters that Hans wanted. Yeah. And requested. And they were going to escape in the ambulance. Mm. I think well, he maybe he Maybe was. they were going to blow up everyone. Yeah, I think so. I wonder. Man, we haven't watched this movie as closely as I thought. You should... T- By accident, he kills them as well. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he gets lucky. He gets lucky so many times. And when he fights someone, it's a big fucking deal. He's yeah. like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> yeah. so tired. Like, he's in bits there. Yeah. The idea of having him barefoot... Is genius. So good. And uh, and again, the writing the names in the arm, and then uh, you know, in the scene where he drops from the elevator down to the thing, uh, the stunt man was meant to catch the yeah. first one, and they just missed it, and he caught the second one, but they just no, he didn't even catch it. He just fell. He just fell. He just fell, and oh. it looked so good. Yeah, that they kept it in. That Johnny boy mm-hmm. was like, he got off his wiretap there for a second. Yeah, and he was like, oh, that looks great, and I think it was like one of the stunt coordinators or the yeah. editor or whatever was saying here. I, we could just do another shot where he, he grabs it mm-hmm. because it just looks so real because it was real. Yeah. You know? It's so good. And like, I love that the thing of him in the elevator, one of the most iconic like pictures of everything, you know, one of the most like, like him with the lighter in the elevator, come into the coast, have a few laughs, you know? <laughs> Not no, in the elevator, in the, in in, the, in the, in the air duct. Air duct, air duct, sorry, yeah. You know, it's so iconic. It looks... It makes me claustrophobic every time I see it yeah, as well. I feel uneasy when I see it. Yeah, but... It, and then he gets so filthy when he's walking around in it. Oh, it's just great. And the fact that, you know, you could kind of give be a miss and be like, all right, look, he uh, he's adrenaline or whatever. He forgets to check the guy's shoes. But no, they show him checking the guy's shoes and that his feet are, his feet are too big and everything. Which is so hard to believe because the guy is huge. I know, yeah. And you're like, yeah. It's like I get the one, uh, one criminal who's... Uh, shoes are like smaller than my sister's or yeah, something like yeah, that he says doesn't some he? line some great line yeah but uh, it's oh. full of just great lines it really is and just it's it just feels so well thought out you know it was a perfect time as well in Bruce Willis's career because yeah. he wanted to make the move to the big screen mm-hmm. but also he still has all those comedic sensibilities yeah, yeah from his show oh it's like the perfect movie for him and um, we should say that uh, the movie posters kind of reflect like how his public perception of him at the time. Yeah. Because the first one we had uh, is just him, right? Yeah, with just the him gun. With the That's gun. That's the famous one. Then uh, there was bad reactions to that. So they and the trailer was bombing as well. The tra- people were like laughing because they thought it was a comedy. Yeah. The minute they see Bruce Willis. Yeah. Other people were booing. Yeah. So they did. They really didn't get it. So then the second trailer, the second poster is him and Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, it's kind of half and half. Half and half. And then the third poster is just Nakatomi Plaza. It's crazy. It's yeah. just a building. Like, how do you promote a movie? It's like, look at this building. Yeah. And now, obviously, we have the famous one where it's back to him with the gun. Yeah. And that's the one you would see now forever. So once it opened and was making money. Yeah. They were like, oh, shit. Okay. Throw him back on the poster. Mm-hmm. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Oh, what a line. Absolute classic. I want to get that jumper. I've said it many times in this, but yeah. And apparently, 
Alan Rickman's German, his pronunciation stuff is a bit ropey in this film. Yeah, yeah. grammatically... Grammatically incorrect sometimes. Yeah, incorrect. Which makes sense. And we should actually mention yeah. that um, Bruce Willis is more German than half the henchmen. Yes, yeah, yeah. He was born in Germany to a yeah. German mother. So. Yeah, American father, German mother. So he is uh, technically more German than the rest of them. Which I love. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing the scene where... Uh, uh, Hans Gruber finds the body and they're trying to figure out who it is and Bruce Willis has just these great moments as John McClane where you know when they eventually talk on the on the radio and he's like oh how are you know these characters doing or whatever and you hear the less experienced guy reacting as Bruce as John McClane hopes like how the fuck does he know that blah, 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 yeah, freaking he's, out he's mentioning all their names yeah and he's freaking out whereas Hans Gruber is like relax relax and he's keeping it composed yeah, yeah. and you feel it's a really it's bad these two guys are you know at the top of their game and they're battling each other uh bruce willis is trying to make it seem much you know much more important than it is he's trying to make it seem like he's together yeah even though he's actually struggling bruce willis he's trying to be john mcclain's trying to be the action hero when he's yeah. on the, when he's talking to hans the entire time and then after during in every other scene he's like fuck 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 what do I do where <laughs> yeah. am I going boobs on the wall gotta keep running uh, oh this is great oh and here's the first time we meet Al Pell Al Pell Sergeant Al Pell Sergeant Al Pell the twinkie loving cop yes played by uh, Roger Reginald Reggie Reggie Val Johnson and uh, he gets a lot of love for this role from police officers. He's he's famous for playing cops and various things. And they specifically cite him as this being a really good example of a regular kind of cop. But he also gets a lot of uh, people throwing Twinkies at him <laughs> yeah. all the time. Because even in Die Harder, yeah. the sequel, he's in only like one scene. Yeah. And he's like uh, Bruce Willis's contact. Well, John McClane's contact. And he, he faxes him over to Prince and all like that. Yeah. He's eating Twinkies. Yeah. So uh, people just throw Twinkies at him all the time now. This guy is lovable. You should see him talking in interviews. He's, he romanticizes the whole yeah. entire production. He just loves that he's a part of this classic movie. Not that we want to plug something else or, you know... Not that Netflix needed, but they put out a great series called The Movies That Made Us and they did a good one on Die Hard and everything. It's actually really good. And he he has great moments on it because Mr. Bruce Willis was busy making a direct-to-DVD movie. Oh, of course. Yeah, too busy for this. So uh, Probably make more money out of the Netflix. Probably, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he... Uh, so there's just great background characters in this all throughout. Um, is there any more we can say on this or should we get to uh, kind of the reception? Oh, one more thing is that uh, the Yippie Kaye, it was meant to be Yippie... Kaye? Kippie, or no, Yippie Taye? Taye, initially. That's what John McTiernan wanted. Bruce yeah. Willis wanted Kaye. They clashed a bit. They clashed it. a bit on that. But that's due to the whole thing where Gruber calls him John Wayne and he said he's more of a... Roy Rogers. A Roy fan. Rogers type. And that's what something Roy Rogers did in the show. There's also some more kind of links and references to Roy Rogers. Yeah, they talked a few times about it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to ride off into the sunset yeah. with Grace Kelly. Grace I Kelly. that's what uh, Hans says at one point. Yeah. Oh, there's the... There, here's the poster. There's the poster. And, yeah. the, and then again, you know where he is now because yeah. he's at the poster. Um, But at the very end, when uh, you get the hero shot of John McClane, backlit, typical hero, backlit silhouette, limping up. He's meant to look like a cowboy in the end of a Western. And he mentions, he calls him cowboy a lot, doesn't he? He calls Hans him Gruber. cowboy all the time. He's like, you know, it's kind of, uh, 
it's 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 almost mockingly, but then towards the end of the movie, he's kind of embraced this cowboy yeah, persona yeah. and everything, and it's just it's a really great moment. Do you know what I've seen a few people talk about this at the end? Yeah, when Reggie, mm-hmm. what's it, Al? Al, yeah, Sergeant Al and McLean, me. Yeah, it's almost like it's a love story between these two characters. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great line where Reggie goes, uh, "You got a great man there," mm. and he says something like. You better look after him. It's yeah. so homoerotic where he's like <laughs> jealous of her. I love it. Yeah. Oh, but they had that great moment where they see each other and the romantic music's already playing because mm-hmm. he's with his wife. Yeah. And then they see each other. Uh, first time they met. Yeah. When they filmed that. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. yeah, there's not in any scenes like well, together. Apparently, uh, that was the first time they met and they filmed that or whatever. But then Reggie was there to film when John McClane was talking on the radio to him but Bruce Willis was too busy to do the same for Reggie <laughs> apparently course. I've heard that well when you're a lead man you know I know yeah he's too busy shooting I don't know Friends or something his Friends <laughs> now I don't know but uh, yeah this is just everything about this movie is just great um, and uh, all the FBI guys and everything Johnson oh, and Johnson Johnson we should say FBI agent Big Johnson played by I'll get the actor's name but uh, he's good friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger. and uh, Oh, you were telling me about yeah. this. This is great. And they, uh, so when the movie came out, uh, he went to Arnie's house and they watched it together. And when, I'll get the guy's name, but when this actor came on screen, hang on one second now, I will get his name. When Robert Davey comes on screen as Big Johnson, Arnie had been led to believe by Robert that, this guy was going to be the main character now for the rest of the movie. And when Arnie eventually realized that he wasn't, he just ripped into him being like, <laughs> you're such an idiot. This character's such an idiot, making so much sly remarks about how stupid he was and everything. <laughs> and I just love that. It's it's so Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, totally. Yeah. 100%. I should talk about the, the helicopter scene. Yes, please do. Because that's really interesting. Yeah. So in the end... When the helicopters come, actually, my fast forward to the mm-hmm. helicopters. Where the helicopters come uh, with the FBI, the mm-hmm. Johnson and Johnson are, Johnson are and in Johnson, it. They yeah. blow up. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah. Let me let me fast forward. Yeah, this is a this was a big deal. This uh, this scene because it was you know they it uh, was the most complicated sequence to film. Yeah, in the whole movie. Uh, let me let the, the cinematographer just... said it would take three days to get all That's the shots. That's what he estimated. Yeah, it's going to take three days. So. They had pissed off everyone in LA around this surrounding area. And in the building. So in the building, they pissed off everyone with the sound. Mm -hmm. Then all the neighbors were up all night with these huge lights, like the bat signal lights going on. Yeah. Because of course it's surrounded by police. Yeah. And they were doing little explosions everywhere. So the residents, the residents around this area hated the film production. Yeah. Like they hated them. So they had to, they had to get clearance Oh, they're shooting all the windows. Shoot the glass. So they had to get clearance to fly these helicopters because they're really low. Yeah. That's why I wanted to actually get the scene because once I read about this... The scene gets that much more intense. One second, where is it? It's coming up here now. Yeah, look, they're running upstairs now. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Uh. <laughs> Excuse me. There it is, there. Oh, here we go. Uh, One second, we're just waiting (laughs) for load. So this is the scene where he's just after hung Carl and uh, 
now the helicopters are coming in. Yeah. So they're flying through the city. Yeah. And he had to get permission from the police and permits and all like that. Yeah. John McTernan actually had to get permission, you know, to yeah. do something. They, so, yeah, they had, they were given, how long was it? Three hours? Mm-hmm. Two hours? Sorry, they were, no. Uh, oh, yeah. So it was going to be three three nights is what the cinematographer thought it would take yeah. to film. The, the city granted them two hours <laughs> to do the most complicated sequence of the entire movie. Yeah. So they they actually set up 24 cameras from the rooftop of the Nakatomi Plaza all the way through the city. Mm-hmm. And they had to do it in two hours. They did it once. Uh, and it was one half hour to get the whole thing of them flying through the city and going up and, and then having the whole sequence of Bruce Willis shooting at them and they're shooting at him and all like that. Mm-hmm. The police seen this and was like, this is fucking mental. We got to shut you down. So they shot the sequence once and that made it into the film. Luckily, they had 24 cameras set up. Mm-hmm. So what uh, should have taken three days, they were allotted two hours. They did one take, mm-hmm. 30 minutes. Crazy. Got the most difficult sequence of the entire movie. Yeah. And they did it in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. And another scene that took even more permission that they had to get and like planning permission was when the ATV goes up the steps of the Fox building yeah. because that's actually an ATV going up the steps of the Fox building <laughs> yeah, know, so they had, to, they had to get planning permission they had to you know deal with the Fox execs and they were totally against it they were like you have to change the scene you can't make you can't let yep. this happen and they were like no this has to happen it's going to happen in the script you gotta let us do this and they had a huge back and forth about doing it and eventually as you see in the movie they got permission to do it and you know what's great as well as I was only reading about like kind of goofy trivia. Yeah. And you see the the, the SWAT team mm-hmm. and they're trying to grind through the doors. Yeah. And then they're trying to weld through the doors. They could have just break the glass. I know. Yeah. Yeah. They could just break the glass. That's one of the few moments in this movie where you go, oh man, that's that's disappointing. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Ah, look, it is what it is. Um, After they just cream that handrail yeah. as they go up the steps and then they're like, oh, you can't break a window. Yeah. Yeah. But yet they're grinding through it or welding through it. Gonna destroy the door. But I love the fact that like 30 minutes, they got the whole thing done. Okay, we just saw it there. All the hostages come back down and then he goes blow the roof. Oh, okay, fair. So they were going to... They had the hostages up there and that was their assurance that they could get out because the hostages were up there and they'd blow the roof without them. And then when the hostages come down, Hans Gruber says blow the roof because he knows McLean's up there. But doesn't... McLean first starts shooting in the air oh yeah to get the helicopter to go away he gets the helicopter to go he gets the helicopter he gets the, to try and get the people down he wants the people to go downstairs yeah. okay and he shoots to get the helicopter to, to them to go down and then for the helicopters to back off okay basically so it's a bit of both yeah I don't even think he realises that the helicopters are there's the Asian there's henchman. the Asian guy yeah he's the candy loving Asian guy yes, as well yeah. that was uh, improvised was it yeah it was Yeah, his, oh, his love great. of candy he had to clear that with McTiernan and everything he was like uh, oh yeah I just I just want to like give my give my character some, some something extra so yeah he loves candy <laughs> it's great again That's great. another thing where they could fit it in because uh, of Bruce Willis's schedule there you go. You got a terrorist shooting at hostages yeah. up there. So I don't even think McLean knows there's a helicopter coming. I think he's just trying to get people down off the roof. Look, oh, he's not, yeah, yeah, true. He's not even focusing on it. Yeah, and then he just starts shooting at yeah, him. And, then he... and look, is McLean doing his own stunts? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it was his first time. McLean, Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Bruce no, Willis. Oh, there's the fake feet. Yeah. Oh, so good. If you look out, you can actually see him wearing like fake feet. Yeah, like Hobbit feet throughout Hobbit the whole feet, movie. Yeah. 
Like um, feet-shaped shoes. Oh, it's so good. Um, right, well, we should get into... We're going to kind of wrap this up here because I think we've gone... Kind yeah. of, we've mentioned kind of everything, gone through the rigmarole of everything we've had to say and just maybe talk about this reception of the movie and kind of what it established. You can just leave it playing because we'll just watch it to the very end because it's just... You want to see it, I mean, you, you want to see it anyway. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert famous film critic the most famous film the most critic. Fa- when you think of film critics you know obviously a lot of people you think of now are like youtube celebrities and yeah. magazines and things like that but roger ebert in the time had a tv show he was the critic you went to to find out about a movie sure his website is still up and running totally yeah um but he gave it two stars gave this gave die hard two stars and now he was much more favorable of the sequels and yeah he, and he liked them a lot but more. i think that's because he realized the backlash i agree and i don't think he wanted to go back and change his score because but i think he realized he was wrong yeah and um, but he initially gave it two stars saying he hated that the cop characters were too stupid i've seen that yeah. and it took took too much away from the film but uh and th- and even on his show they had at the time, this was a hotly debated item. Like, people would come on and they'd be, you know, f- they'd be uh, debating this on it. So it was really famous that, uh, you know, r- r- he didn't like it yeah. initially. You know, that's a big thing. And Here- it's weird that he didn't like the best one. Yeah. And then he preferred the ones that were not as critically uh, acclaimed no. as this. This was critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah. That's the thing. It, it Not only was it like a box office like masterpiece like a huge success in the box office this was 100% critically acclaimed people love this movie the, I think it's the attention to detail is one of the reasons yeah. why you love it the blood on the glass when he's cl- kicking it because his feet are still bleeding I mm-hmm. love that you know it's just a little thing like that yeah. where you're like man that just makes everything so much better and it's the time that it was in like yeah. th- when you think the Predator came out a year beforehand mm-hmm. that was the action film yeah. t- to emulate really like and it was a big box office su- success as well Yeah, this is just everything that Predator isn't mm-hmm. totally and it works so well and when John McClane nearly goes off the edge there he looks like he looks like he's about to vomit afterwards because he was like holy shit that was the closest I've come to dying the screenwriter talks about that and he's mm-hmm. like that's the classic good news bad news yeah. he's like Good news, uh, bad news is Billings about to explode. Yeah. Good news is I can use the hose yeah. to get down. Bad news is I when I go down I can't break the window. Good yeah. news is I have a gun. Yeah. Shoots through. Yeah. And then he's like, bad news is now the the part of the hose is falling. Oh. Good news is I'm smart enough to untie myself. Oh man. So he's that... saying like it's the cl- it's just a classic like good news bad news good oh, news bad news. I like that. It's quite simple. I've never heard of that screenwriting thing. That's really good. And there's the miniature. Yes, the miniature, which uh, looks really good. Like it, do, like when you see it by itself, it doesn't look great. So the top of the building when mm-hmm. it explodes is yeah. a complete miniature. Now, when you say miniature, I always just envision something tiny. Yeah. This is huge. Something that Stuart Little lives in. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, like a birdhouse. Totally. But this is huge. Yeah. But the miniature, uh, Joe Silver, who we talked about before, mm-hmm. um, who's parodied in Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder. Yeah. He he scared people. He does. And the, the miniature crew that made the building and, and blew it up yeah. they had to send him the shot and he okayed it but they were so afraid they were worried he wouldn't that he would just be screaming down the phone but yeah. instead he actually got him going that looks great and it really does once you slow it down because that was the thing you just slowed it down yeah and then the top of the building exploding looks great like that the helicopter is a miniature yeah it looks so good though yeah all that looks great and then that he dives in the water, and yeah. there's a significance of that water. It's uh, based on it's. I don't know the exact yeah it's some on architect, this. isn't it's it? It's based on this famous architectural. I think it's a Japanese thing, but the 
Uh, it's obviously a replica. That, and, that, and I think that's in the actual Fox building. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. I could be wrong about that. It's a replica of it. But in the lore of the film, uh, they've actually taken a part of it and brought it into there. So it's actually right. a part of the original uh, installation that it's based on. Okay. And they've and uh, the Nakatomi people have taken it and placed it there. Cool. So that's the, that's the lore of it in the movie and kind of the outside of the movie, basically, yeah, yeah. where it comes from. Um, but yeah, the last thing we, I wanted to touch on really, and I think that's that's it for yeah, this sure. episode, is that this started the diehard genre, you know? They made a genre. They made a whole genre and it's, you know... By accident, really. Totally. By going against what a lot of things, uh, what a lot of the action movies in Hollywood were doing, yeah. they made a whole new genre of action movie, which is the diehard. So Speed, which was then directed by the cinematographer of this movie, is diehard on a bus. On a bus. And the whole thing is, like, it's an average guy. Mm-hmm. All the odds are against Average him, guy, kind outnumbered, of. Outnumbered. Yeah, yeah. You know? trying, to, trying to solve everything. So then there's, like, diehard on a plane. Diehard uh, on a plane. There's... They die hard in the White House yes. by two. Yeah, white with White House down and Olympus has fallen. Olympus has fallen, and yeah. I like how White House down acknowledges how closely it. it um, it's it's, it's pretty much duplicate. Yeah, duplicates. Channing this Tatum movie. runs around in a in a, a wife beater like the two of us are yeah. modeling right now. Yeah, well, Ian's modeling and I'm putting it to shame basically. Um, yeah, and then there's. Like all these other ones, you were saying that the producer was it Joel Silva? Some guy once pitched him Die Hard in a building, and he was like, "It was a screenwriter." A screenwriter. Yeah, oh, the screenwriter right. was like, "Oh, how about we do Die Hard in the building?" And he's yeah. like, "Isn't that that, 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 that that's, that's Die Hard? That's I, just Die Hard." I wrote that. I was there. I, was, <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know if you know this. I was a part of that, <laughs> so I would know if that's uh, happening. And there it is, the hero shot, John McClane looking like a cowboy. Yeah, <sighs> limping like a cowboy. It's brilliant. And he's just shattered by the end of this movie. That's another thing you love. He, You feel like he could not do anything else that yeah. day. You know, right at the end of this movie, yeah. there's two... There's, just go back to the music for one second. Mm-hmm. So Michael Kamen, yeah. like all the music he, com- he composed, yeah. uh, John McTernan didn't like what he had for the ending. So the last four minutes are from two other Fox movies. Really? From Aliens and I from Man on Fire, yes. the original. I did hear that. Sorry. Not the Denzel Washington one. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So those are taken from, from that. From other Fox movies. And what happened was they were mm-hmm. temporary tracks that the editor put in mm-hmm. just for the ending, just to give you a rough idea of what the music should sound like. Mm-hmm. And John McTernan was like, do you know what? Actually, what Michael Kamen did, I don't really like it. We'll just leave that in. Ah, I love it. So it's temporary music, but it ended up just being in it. So if you hear Aliens at the end of it, that's if, if just James Horner like it's a famous yeah. uh, composition totally which I just think is really clever oh, it's, it's just it's just John McTiernan again just doing whatever fuck he wants yeah he's like you know I don't like it mm-hmm. I'll just use what's there I love it and that is a great note to end on um, so thank you guys for listening to our Die Hard cast I- hashtag free McTiernan hashtag free McTiernan yeah from the creative prison he's yeah. been put in come on listen he tapped his wife's phone when they, they were getting into it so what we all do it we all would do it honestly I'd love to hear what they were saying you know and Charles Rovin's doing okay yeah exactly listen and you know Bruce Willis is an asshole sadly <laughs> yeah but you know he's great in this movie Um, yeah this is the best Christmas movie ever made ever made that's a straight to series you know that's, that's stamp, a, stamp right there it is the greatest Christmas movie um and uh yeah 
uh, we just thank you guys for listening yeah thanks we hope you enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed making it and that uh, you I hope you learned something about the movie because yes. I sure did while researching I this. learned so much and you know it's a statement whenever we do this we seem to have a good job of picking movies that even after we've done all this research and talked about it we still want to go and watch again yeah big time so uh, thank you guys for listening check us out on Instagram Facebook Twitter everything YouTube all those places, SoundCloud SoundCloud um, and yeah thank you guys for listening and we will see you next time see in you 2020 next time. 2020 yeah. scary a new year of straight to series see you then bye